0: the the colonial government or now the US government opens the ledger and they just see five tons of red bugs what is happening here hippocampus (laughs) blood what is going on in this man
1: untapped hippocampus blood reserve supply in Puerto Rico
0: yeah man this is the last hippocampus blood I've
1: been searching for this my whole life Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Unbelievable, the podcast where I tell my good friend two unbelievable stories from history, one true, one false.
0: And it's up to me to figure out which is which.
1: I am public scandal waiting to happen, Kurt Danner, joined here by the man in your attic, Luis Mejia. Hello. Luis, how's it going?
0: Oh man, I am uh, beyond ecstatic to be here, Kurt.
1: In people's attics? in everyone's collective attic yes
0: beyond it's, it's nice it's chilly now that the summer's coming along
1: if you guys are listening to this podcast at home and luis's audio sounds a little echoey it's because we're recording live he's, he's up there right now luis bang on the floor yeah, that's him. Yeah, there he is. I
0: am the Reese and your floorboards are squeaky. I am the squeak in your floorboards.
1: So if you like the podcast today, leave Luis some some coffee grinds and eggshells, some some yard trimmings and such later. It's a little treat. <laughs> uh, that being said, before I jump into the two stories, Luis, to calibrate our truth, smoke and mirrors od- odometer, o meter? We'll we'll workshop that one. Yeah. Anyway, you got a fast fact for me that maybe is true, maybe is false? Oh, I
0: do have a fast fact for you, Kurt. So, as you may or may not know at this point, I am from... uh, a a very mysterious exotic land known as Mexico. Mm. And I have a lot of knowledge on this. And I've had people coming to visit me here in my hometown. I've been giving a lot of historical tours lately. So my brain is is filled with some fun facts that uh, can earn you a quick buck if you're trying to entertain some tourists. Okay. Now, Kurt, true or false, pre-Columbian people in the Americas did not invent the wheel and axle.
1: Pre-Columbian, okay, so before the Europeans arrived, yes, they didn't have the wheel and axle.
0: Right, the uh, indigenous people of the Americas mm-hmm. never invented the wheel.
1: Wow, I'm going to say true. I, I, I'm i really struggling with it, and honestly, I want to sit here and like think forever and ever about mm-hmm. it, but in the interest of time, I'm going to go with my gut and say I think it's true.
0: Okay, Kurt, well, um, it, it's actually uh, fake. Pre-Columbian people did invent the wheel quite far back actually however we do get this misconception in our day and age that essentially says hey pre-columbian people didn't have wheels or wheel and axle systems they were savages Mm. but no no uh, people up in this part of the world did they very much used them all the time the only problem is that unlike europe and the quote-unquote old world this hemisphere did not have pack animals Mm -hmm. right so there were no cattle there were no pigs even there were no donkeys horses nothing of the sort so if you were going to carry things long distances why i mean if you're just it's probably easy to just carry things if you don't have like uh, like a cow but yeah wheel and axle systems do exist in this part of the world. I went to the archaeological museum, National Archaeology Museum of Mexico, and much like cultures all across the world, they were mostly used for toys. There's little dogs with wheels for feet, and of course, they knew what wheels were. They were not idiots. They were just like us. They were humans, okay? Um, so that was one of the of the big inventions, among mm. other inventions. As a bonus, fun fact, Kurt, that uh, the pre Columbian pre Columbian people uh, invented is corn. The usage of corn <laughs> and and all its different <laughs> right, all its
1: different uses. Well, actually, let me let me expand on that a little bit because I, I think they like crossbred corn into existence. Right, like corn as we know it did did not exist until it was crossbred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's because it's weird to say like invented corn. You know, it's not like they were in the lab and like finally we've discovered corn. <laughs> we've
0: discovered corn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, it was not like they popularized corn. Like there was no mm-hmm. corn without them.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, among other things, rubber balls were invented uh, over nice. here. Nice. To disprove another misconception, the pre-Columbian people did have writing systems. Uh, there was writing in this part of the world. And mm-hmm. they also invented the concept of zero. Ooh. So, so, you know, something, an, a figure, a digit that represents nothing, that represents the concept of nothingness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Olmecs and the Mayans were doing that thousands of years ago. So... There we go. Just a, a couple nice. fun innovations and uh, inventions of the new world, Kurt.
1: Well, I'll tell you, learning learning that they did invent the wheel and axle actually makes me very happy because mm-hmm. that's that was kind of the calculation I was trying to do. Is that I know if it is true that they didn't invent it, people are going to use that for a certain narrative about yeah. them. But I was also thinking, like you said, they don't really have pack animals. I can't picture like wagons being pulled. So, um, but that makes me very happy that that they. We're like, yeah, we got wheels. We just don't need wheels. We'll just carry it. We're the pack animals.
0: You know, they just placed uh different perks into their skill tree. They they Actually, really yeah. they really they <laughs> chose not to put all their skill tree uh points into pack animals and instead decided into <laughs> big bright birds, I guess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and corn.
1: <laughs> yeah, and corn. I mean, that's everything for the corn. All for the corn. Everything corn for or, the or corn. bust.
0: corn or bust. Anyway,
1: with that sentiment, let's get into these stories. Corn
0: or Husk.
1: Oh. Corn or Husk. You want that left in? Uh, Speak now or forever hold Keep your it peace.
0: in the podcast, Kurt. I'm not afraid. <laughs> keep it in, but let's move on.
1: But let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, my first story for you, Luis. It is time for us to play one of our classic games and say it with me, big. Domino, little domino.
0: Hey, yeah, ba da ba ba And
1: our first little domino here is a very well-known, very iconic little domino by the name of Marie Antoinette.
0: No, that's a that's a well-known domino. Yeah,
1: that's a well-known domino. Who is Marie Antoinette? Asked no one ever, because (laughs) probably everyone knows. But just in case, Louise, if you are not uh, up to date on your Marie Antoinette knowledge, she was the last queen of France before the French Revolution. She was known for her lavish and decadent lifestyle. And she's often referred to as the first beauty influencer. Uh, But she was also seen as a symbol of everything wrong with the out-of-touch monarch. So she was a very polarizing figure in her time and also afterwards.
0: Sounds a lot like me, actually, Kurt. She may have sounds a lot like you wish. You know, polarizing figure, (laughs) check. Beauty beyond compare, check. A figure of decadence, check. And I may not be the first beauty influencer, but I absolutely will be the last. So
1: having an oddly shaped body does not mean figure of decadence, Luis. You do are aware of that, right,
0: Kurt? (laughs) You don't make up the rules.
1: That was a deep cut. This been, He just got back from the gym, straight from the gym to record this podcast. And still, I'm going to go after Luis's body image. I mean, it's there's no holds bars over here. It's
0: guys. a sad world out here, guys. <laughs>
1: But anyway, as I was saying, Marie Antoinette is known for her extravagance and her beauty routines. Some of these things would be pretty over the top, like she had a skin toner she would use called Eau de cham, which was made from, quote, drops exuded by grapevines in May. Oh. She also had a skin cleanser she would use called Eau Cosmétique de Pigeon, made from water lily juice, melons, cucumbers, and lemons, seasoned with briony, wild suckery, lily flowers, borage, and beans. My God. I don't know what happened. Half of those things And she's just putting them all, all Rubbing them on her face Every night Some of the things she would use Would be honestly pretty crazy Like she had this rouge That was made from crushed insects red lead, cinnabar, and mercury. So Mm. all of these ingredients individually on their own are toxic.
0: Including heavy metals, nice. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Hell yeah. Some of the things she used actually were pretty reasonable and you could see still being used today. Like she had this signature face mask that was made from two teaspoons of cognac, one third cup dry milk powder, lemon juice, and one egg white. So it's like, you know, fairly untoxic, fairly regular. Before we get into it, I got to introduce one other character here. He is a man named Jean-Henri, Bonnet, mm. uh, which fun fact in English that would be John Henry the Hatmaker because John yeah. Henry is John Henry and Bonnet means hatmaker apparently. So oh, yeah. Johnny if we can do whatever John Henry Bonnet, Johnny Henny Hattie, Johnny H- Jean Henri the Hatmaker, whatever you want. Johnny you know? Hank
0: the Hatman.
1: Okay, so anyway, <laughs> Johnny Henry the Hatman. He's a nobleman in Paris in his 20s, and he's supplying Parisian opera houses with makeup supplies and costumes. Uh, He was also known for his own fashion, and he would get unique makeup ingredients by importing them or sending other people abroad or in some occasions, even going himself. Some of the unique ingredients that he would acquire were carmine, which is actually the term for the crushed insects I was referring to earlier, Mm -hmm. and they would be only found on cacti in Central and South America. He also got ground fish scales from the Pacific, Iberian ribbed newt venom from Morocco, uh, this thing called sangre de hippocampo or hippocampus blood. Nice. So, a hippocampus is a mythological creature originally from Greek mythology. It's part horse, part fish. You can kind of picture like if a horse were a mermaid. And I realize as I'm saying it that, like, <laughs> I'm not talking about like each one of the horse hoofs would become a fin, but like mermaid tail from the back. You know, can you see what I'm saying? Like,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, it also seems like you're describing a uh, seahorse, Kurt.
1: <laughs> no, but the, a seahorse doesn't have a fish tail. You know, it's just a, you can't, because, it's like merhorse horse is what we got here. Sure, Kurt. Go on. Not important. (laughs) Either way.
0: Hippocampus Uh, blood, though. Uh, I hear they're playing Coachella this year.
1: (laughs) True, dude. I would definitely see hippocampus blood. (laughs) But anyway, obviously, this is not actually blood from a hippocampus because they're a mythological creature. Hippocampus blood was a bright reddish-orange mixture. It contained red coral, ground kelp, spices, and some other unknown ingredients because uh, the recipe's actually been lost to time. Originally, it was traded along the Silk Road. The only place that it was ever widely traded in Europe with Spain, hence the name Sangre de Hipocampo mm. All this to say that in 1787, Jean-Henri Bonnet, John Henny Hattie, maker, mm-hmm. uh, enters Marie Antoinette's radar for the first time. Uh, so after seeing the opera, Le Roi de l'Or, uh, Marie asked what was used in the blush of the High Priestess of Indra. This was one of the main characters of the opera, evidently, that gave it such a shimmering characteristic. And this question got her introduced to Jean-Henri. Johnny Henry has got all kinds of exotic and rare makeup ingredients and a love of all things fabulous. So of course he and Marie (laughs) become friends practically overnight, right? You know, he's like catnip for her.
0: Do you think that's how he introduces himself at parties? Bonjour, uh, bonsoir, Uh, my my name is uh, Jean-Henri, Bonnet, and uh, I'm a fan of all things fabulous and decadent. Uh, Nice to meet you. Fan of
1: all things fabulous at your service. Then he extends his hand to be kissed. He extends
0: his hand to be kissed, and it's just covered in red dust.
1: (laughs) It's covered in mercury. (laughs) Covered in
0: mercury and lead.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But... Anyway, as 1787 goes on, Jean-Henri spends more and more time in the Palace of Versailles and in the company of Marie Antoinette. He also made some costumes for a small theater that Marie managed as a hobby. So. If you know anything about Marie Antoinette in the 1780s, you know that she cannot afford any more scandals, right? <laughs> because starting around 1784, people began creating these pamphlets, these papers they would give mm-hmm. out, detailing mm-hmm. the deviance of the Queen and her friends. And over time, the pamphlets came to focus more and more directly on the Queen. They would detail these endless affairs that she was having. Most of them were made up, but some of them were almost certainly true. Uh, they accuse her of being a lesbian. They accuse her of secretly supporting Austria, um, because Marie Antoinette, of course, is originally Austrian and and Austria and France are constantly in conflict at this point in history.
0: Quick little fun fact, Kurt. If you follow the Mary Antoinette bloodline a little farther down, you'll realize that uh, her nephew, if not great-nephew, would become a one Maximilian of Habsburg, future second emperor of Mexico.
1: So there's there's already our big domino is yeah. is without whatever happens in the story. No, no Luis Fetish <laughs> for Maximilian of how
0: I, I don't know if I don't know if you can call it a small domino big domino. I think that's just a family tree, Kurt.
1: That's just lineage. <laughs> that's just human reproduction. <laughs>
0: it's it's not like my great grandfather emigrating from Germany to Mexico that's the small dominoes to me buying a banjo in college, Kurt, like frankly.
1: Anyway, as I was saying, these these it's not very good for her. There's also a lot of stories that are basically just painting Marie as spoiled, out of touch. Like I said before, everything wrong with the monarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all this is presumably on the mind of King Louis XVI, her husband, because like I said, you know, scandals are bad for Marie, but they're also indirectly bad for the monarchy. So he doesn't want to incur any more accusations of affairs. It's also possible that there's this detail on his mind that Jean-Henri's paternal grandmother was Austrian, mm. and maybe he's worried people are going to draw that connection. But whatever the case case King Louis commissions Jean-Henri to go on a trade expedition on behalf of the crown. He's basically like oh, you like going out there and finding weird makeup stuff? Here's a bunch of money. Get out of here, kid, you know? (laughs) Yeah,
0: go for it. Go crazy.
1: Yeah, go nuts. Just do it away from my wife. (laughs) So in May 1788, Jean-Henri departs from Paris. We don't actually know how much money was commissioned by the monarchy for this, but keep in mind that it's all just to avoid the speculation of a scandal. And ironically, but unsurprisingly, the crown spending a whole bunch of money to send someone to find exotic makeup is not very well received by the public, ultimately. No way. So it kind of has the opposite (laughs) effect intended. But either way, uh, Jean-Henri arrives in Morocco, uh, July 1788. Morocco is still a colony of France at this point. He spends a few months there meeting with different product suppliers and traders. Then he sails across the Mediterranean to Asia Minor, uh, which at this point is the heart of the Ottoman Empire. And he arrives there in early 1789. While he's in the Ottoman Empire, he gets very interested in henna tattoos. And he spends a while studying them and their ingredients and their different application methods. After this, between 1790 and 1792, he traveled through Qajar, Iran, which is modern day Iran and a little bit of India as well. And while he's doing this traveling for these two years, he keeps a journal documenting the different spices, plants, oils, ointments, and elixirs that he encounters, their traits and what their possible makeup applications could be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And his plan is to continue on into the Qing empire. But in November, 1792, Jean-Henri learns about the French royal family's failed attempt to flee Paris. Uh, So this is something that happened during the French Revolution. Yeah. And he also learns how bad the civil unrest has gotten in France. And so he decides to cut his journey short and return to France. Oh,
0: no. I was about to say, when you mentioned he arrived in Asia Minor in 1789, I was just thinking, man, Jean-Henri, as a rich vendor and someone, I guess, in the public eye, receiving money from the royals, he's probably going to be in the top of the list of Robespierre uh, national campaign of removing the heads of those that descent, right? So I mean, 1789, he gets to Asia Minor. Great luck. 1792, he's Skipping out, great. He's gonna skip the French Revolution. Are you telling me he's yeah. gonna go back?
1: Yeah, I know. He he like almost slipped into being like a Ottoman Empire nobility. You know, he could have just comfortably stayed there. Like it was almost a perfect maneuver. But he gets way on out of there. Goes back to France, basically the same way he came, but much much quicker this time. And in early 1794, he again arrives in Morocco and he learns of the French Revolution, the execution of King Louis XVI, and the execution of Marie Antoinette, which has taken place about a month earlier. So. No, my customers. return home trip (laughs) is not looking so good, right?
0: Yeah, naturally.
1: Yeah, so he sails to Spain and is received as a guest of the crown. The current king of Spain at this point in time is King Charles IV of the Bourbon monarchy of Spain. And the Bourbon household actually was French nobility only 90 years prior. So they're more than happy to take Jean-Henri in.
0: We love the, the, the Spanish light French diet French.
1: Yeah, the, <laughs> exactly. But by 1795, a year later, it seems like Jean-Henri was overstaying his welcome in Spain a bit, uh, and he's not showing any intentions of leaving. Spain is also working towards a treaty with the new French Republic, so the, the France that has come out of the revolution now. Mm-hmm. They're, they're working on a treaty with them to basically unite against Britain, and so it's not really a good look for them to be housing a member <laughs> of the former French nobility. <laughs> so they make an offer slash him to Jean-Henri to go to Puerto Rico and be an emissary to the Spanish crown, which he accepts, and so he goes to Puerto Rico. So again, to solve, you know, a bad look problem, Jean-Henri is sent away somewhere. He goes to Puerto Rico. It's basically a nothing job. uh, And he comfortably lives in Puerto Rico until his death at age 45 in either 1817 or 1819. Oh, man. After he dies, he has no spouse or descendants. And so the colonial government claims ownership of Jean-Henri's estate and possessions.
0: My God, they're going to get so much, so much makeup. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Open the door to a warehouse and it's nothing but makeup as far as the eye can see.
1: Just makeup and mercury all the way down.
0: Baby. Lead, mercury, insects. <laughs> what more could you want?
1: <laughs> it's a madhouse in there. Oh man. Okay, but no. So that so it it is it is claimed by the colonial government now. Big time jump alert because we are going to 1899. Oh my, goodness. which is when the Spanish American War ends. Oh right. So 1899, the war ends, and as part of the treaty at the end of the war, Spain gives several of its territories to the U.S amongst them puerto rico mm-hmm. puerto rico was already occupied by the u.s military from during the war so they set up a military government that's going to oversee local officials and the u.s you know like any aspiring world power wants to know what did we win here in the war you know what what do we got here more importantly what can we get out of this bad boy yeah, yeah. Uh, so the u.s military begins taking an inventory of the government
0: Oh my Basically, God. Basically,
1: they're marking down what are its assets, its properties, what are its capabilities. And during this process, Jean-Henri's assets are itemized. <laughs> also during this process, his journal is transcribed and then it is either discarded or lost. But the physical thing is gone.
0: The, the colonial government, or now the U.S. government, opens the ledger and they just see five tons of red bugs. What is happening here? <laughs> Hippocampus <laughs> blood? What is going on in this, man?
1: Untapped hippocampus blood reserve supply in Puerto Rico.
0: Yeah, man. This is the last hippocampus blood I've been searching for. This my whole life. So
1: now we're going to go on to 1917. And there's a man named Ivor Larson. He's a researcher for the Naval Consulting Board in New York. Uh, The Naval Consulting Board was this organization put together by Thomas Edison and some other people in the lead up to World War I. Basically, there were a lot of people who had fears that the U.S. was not on par with other world power militaries. And if the U.S. was going to get in a world conflict, it needed to be prepared for that. So they created this organization, the Naval Consulting Board, to just say, let's get a bunch of scientists together to just churn. Turn out inventions for the military so Ivor Larson is one of the researchers working for them he's working on a formula to prevent tanks and ships from rusting and he's testing different oils and hydrocarbons while doing research he finds the transcription of Jean Henri's journal Larson understands enough French to be interested in the document but he doesn't <laughs> fully understand it so he enlists the help of another researcher named Arthur Durant who does speak French pretty close to fluently the two translate the document and they identify 106 items of interest that are items in ingredients or plants either previously unknown to the U.S. scientific community or untested for these properties that are written down. So they began doing water displacement tests. Water displacement meaning because since they're trying to create a substance that will prevent rust, they need something that will create a seal that will keep out water. So you could spray it on the metal of tanks or boats, and then it will protect the water from getting there, which causes rust, right. hence water displacement. So they do the test. The first 26 tests were unsuccessful, but test number 27 was also unsuccessful. Nice. And then, <laughs> test 28 through 39 did not work. Great. But, finally, water displacement test number 40 was successful. It stood up to all the stress tests, all the all the qualifications they needed. It performed in all the conditions they wanted.
0: It looked cool.
1: It looked cool. It had flames painted on mm, the side. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: Great nickname
1: The US military begins producing the formula in 1918 But the war ends before they can begin shipping it to Europe So after the war They now have a surplus of this formula With no real use for it They begin testing it for commercial applications And as it turns out A lot of private citizens would like a universal lubricant That is rust resistant So in 1924 the formula arrives in stores Packaged in a new aerosol form And it still has its lab name Water Displacement 40 But they shortened it to (gasps) WD-40 So WD-40, the product which you may be very well familiar with, Luis, came out of this. The formula for WD-40 actually was never patented within the window of time that it could be patented. So this means when you patent something, you have to uh, release what all the ingredients of it are. Since they never patented within that window of time, they never had to publish, here's what the ingredients are. So the formula of WD-40, whatever the item of interest they got out of this journal, is still a trade secret to this day. It's, It's produced, outsourced to a private company, but the us government is the only one who knows truly what is in wd-40 so the next time oh God. you're you're lubricating up some of your door hinges or perhaps cleaning some of your various uh, hardware and and metallic parts louise thank marie antoinette
0: it's okay. all hippocampus blood and crickets
1: maybe that's what's in there what if that what if that's oh my goodness yeah the hippocampus blood could you believe it if you
0: start reverse engineering wd-40 like if you're in a pinch you're like, oh man, I need some rouge today. I'm looking really, really pale. I'd like to really blush up a little bit. <laughs> all right, all right, ladies, get a, get a nice little brush, a nice little makeup sponge, and go to town with some WD forty.
1: I'll be honest, Luis. I don't even wanna, I don't even wanna joke about this, okay? Because you don't understand the community, the culture I come from. How much of a universal thing WD forty is. Everything WD forty works on. You it's, can't put out here this misinformation that it can be used as makeup. People are going to start using it as.
0: Kurt, makeup. it's an international thing, okay? Mexico here <laughs> loves WD40, WD40, we call it. Ooh. Yeah, it sounds fun, sounds fancy. I'm not spreading
1: misinformation. el sangre de
0: WD 40, now featuring Sangre de Hipocampo.
1: Marcanos en
0: este momento. <laughs> en este momento, dos Now, I'm not giving false information, Kurt, here. I want the listeners to know this is my disclaimer. I'm an idiot. Mm. Okay? Mm. I am a fool, and I've been known to give information that is false. Now, mm. have I recommended the use of WD 40 as makeup? No. Did I mention that it would be funny if you did? Yes. Now, the power is on your hands, the ball is in your court to test out these details. I don't make myself or this podcast responsible for whatever applications you use for WD-40. Before you revealed what WD-40, that this pr- result was WD-40, you mentioned a non-rust lubricant. And the first thing I went to mind was, oh, some an application for stuff in the bedroom. And then you mentioned it was WD forty, <laughs> so I didn't mention it anymore. So again, never take any recommendation Luis, from this podcast. What
1: part of use WD forty for everything do you not understand?
0: Oh, God, you're so right, Kurt. <laughs> I guess there's still so much that I need to learn about you.
1: Fun fun story. When I was uh when I was younger, I cleaned uh, my family's guns with WD forty, because I knew that it worked as a cleaner and probably would work for that. What I did not know is that it's fairly flammable. So oh, afterwards, Jesus. whenever the guns were fired, they would shoot flame for like the next you know 50 oh. shots or so all right
0: first of all red flag guys Kurt's family has don't guns. do that don't do yeah. that one <laughs> Kurt's red flags ownership <laughs> of guns and poor cleanup <laughs> and flammable cleanup of guns and gunfire
1: I had an intriguing childhood
0: Yeah, I guess you did I guess you did I'm so ready I'm hyped now.
1: You're hyped. You're uh, you're, you're in, in the mood. You know, we got Marie Antoinette. We got WD-40. I want to keep this energy rolling, okay? Because this, this story is very fun. But also, speaking of disclaimers, I got a little disclaimer at the beginning of this one, okay? I run into often, when I'm listening to a historical story that's very fun, I feel kind of bad rooting for the main character because maybe they're kind of a villain or maybe they're really a villain. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I kind of, I feel bad enjoying this because like they did bad things. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, the main character, the story she's major villain oh. but she is such a fun villain I would like to propose let's put our guilt aside Okay. for the moment yeah. and just enjoy watching yeah. her have a have a time of it, okay? So our villain's name is Walburga Osterreich. Her nickname is Dolly, okay? So Dolly <laughs> was born... Go ahead, process. Process, go ahead.
0: This man's... Uh, that's, a, first of all, very, very villainous name to begin with. But man, mm. who, who decided to give her that nickname? It's like naming your child Helmut Bloodhand. But he goes by Steve. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's you know what it's it's odd because she she stumbled into it because I'll tell you osterreich is not her maiden name it's the name she married into. Okay. So so she's you know born with her first name Walberga uh, and her nickname Dolly is because she was known to be very sweet and pretty and attractive. So it's like I guess right. Walberga is not a very attractive name Dolly yeah. is but and then she married into Osterreich. So yeah it's it's weird it was all by complete coincidence you know each of her three names comes from a different source.
0: Interesting.
1: Anyway, Walberga Дали острый. <laughs> <laughs> born in 1880 uh, it's actually unknown if she was born in Imperial Germany or the United States That's, let's just uh, say Imperial Germany sure on, yeah th- makes more fun yeah I like that thank you e- either way uh, her parents immigrated to the US and Dolly grew up in a German community near Milwaukee she started working in a factory manufacturing clothes and aprons in 1892 when she was 12 years old and she was very well liked among the workers for her charming and amicable nature as I was saying before she's also said to be very pretty uh, and over <laughs> nothing, time nothing Nothing
0: lights up the workplace in a factory like a 12 year old.
1: (laughs) And children's
0: children's joy in a factory. My God. They're like, hey,
1: don't look now, man. Here comes Walburga. And then she's 12 years old sauntering into the apron factory. 1880 is a weird time, man. I'll tell you that. 1880
0: is a strange, strange place, man. Yeah.
1: Anyway, over time, she attracts the attention of the factory owner, a man named Fred Osterreich, who, as you can guess here, Mm -hmm. uh, is going to end up becoming her husband. In 1897, they get married when Dolly is 17 and Fred is 20. Afterwards, Dolly stopped working at the factory officially, but she still remained pretty involved. She would often settle labor disputes between the workers because Dolly was much better liked than Fred. Um, You know, I said she was particularly liked by the workers. By contrast, Fred was said to be distant and unlikable. He lived rough and he drank heavily and it seems like after a few years of marriage, Dolly came to the same conclusion as well. Mm. Later on, it'd be widely reported that Dolly felt her needs weren't being met in the marriage because, you know, her husband is at work and drinking and not really interested in her. But honestly, I think it could be any number of reasons why she was unhappy, most of them relating to his rough living and drinking.
0: Mostly it's because it's a factory owner or a factory worker in 1890s Milwaukee or 1890s Wisconsin. I feel like that just goes without saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that'll that'll do it. <laughs> no
0: offense to any 1890s Wisconsinites listening to us, but I'm assuming life back then was not, let's just say, pleasant, you know? No
1: offense to, to any of our listeners who may be factory workers born pre nineteen hundred. We'd love mm-hmm. to keep your viewership, and we and we promise to do better from from that comment.
0: We do promise. Uh, <laughs> follow us on Twitter, though you'll find our, <laughs> follow us on Twitter. Though, our yeah. notes apology yeah. there.
1: Go cancel this on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, point is, she's not having a great time in this marriage. So one day in 1913, Dolly calls Fred at the factory to ask him to send someone to repair her sewing machine. He sends one of his employees, a 17-year-old named Otto Sandhuber, and Dolly greeted Otto at the door wearing only a silk robe and stockings. All right. I do not know if Otto ended up fixing the sewing machine, but Dolly definitely put him to work on something, if you know what I right. <laughs> mean.
0: Moving the, moving the fridge. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, she, she, she nothing nothing too crazy, nothing too sexy. She's like, I just need an extra pair of pants.
1: Just need this bed unmade.
0: Bro, I need it to mount this TV on the wall. Can't do it by myself.
1: <laughs> so this begins an affair between Dolly and Otto. For the record, Dolly is 33 years old at this point. Otto is, like I said, 17. Uh, at first, they're meeting in hotels, but as they begin meeting more and more frequently, Otto starts coming to Dolly's house while Fred is at work. Mm. And since it's still 1913, the neighbors do take notice of a strange man frequenting the house. So, to avoid suspicion, Dolly tells her neighbors that Otto is, quote, her vagabond half-brother. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Is this convincing? Maybe. Maybe not. Doesn't matter, I guess. Either way, Dolly and Otto continue seeing each other, in fact, more and more often, until finally the decision is made for Otto to quit his job at the factory and secretly move into the attic of the Osterreich's house, only accessible through a ceiling panel in the bedroom closet.
0: Nice. What? Hell yeah, (laughs) that's incredible.
1: So, Otto's life in the attic. Otto would later describe himself as Walburga's sex slave. (laughs) During the day, he would leave the attic to do housework and cleaning and have sex with Dolly allegedly up to eight times a day regularly. Wow. Yeah.
0: Go go, go team, both of them. Damn.
1: During the night, he would live quietly in the attic while Fred was home. He was supplied with a cot, a bucket, books, a lamp, writing materials, and a bit of food. He would spend most of his time reading and writing science fiction stories, and then Dolly would mail the stories that he wrote to publishers for him. Wow. And this goes on for the next five years. (laughs) So, (laughs) you may be wondering at this point, Luis, how in the world does her husband Fred not notice any of this, right? Like, five years this guy's living in the attic.
0: He's drunk as hell. It's early 1900s America. What else are you gonna be? Wow,
1: that was like Almost spot on Hang on You're getting ahead of yourself Let me get to that So on some occasions It seems like Fred complained About cigars Or food disappearing From the icebox He also sometimes said He had this general sense That something was off Or he could swear He's hearing weird noises Coming from within The walls of the house Dolly convinces Fred That he has an Overactive imagination Or he's been drinking too much Or he's overly stressed From working in a factory Mm -hmm. And like you're saying There's quite a bit of truth To what she says About the drinking And the, the stress levels So uh, it also seems like Fred, uh, like I said before, is not terribly interested in what's going on at home. This is enough to kind of rush off his suspicions. But in 1918, Fred decides he wants to move to L.A.
0: Make it big, baby.
1: Make it big, baby. We're going to be the biggest factory in Hollywood. (laughs) We're going to sell aprons to the stars. (laughs) Dolly agrees to move on the condition that the new house they buy has an attic. And houses in L.A. uh, do not have attics very often. It's quite a rarity, but they actually do buy a house with an attic. Otto goes ahead of them to L.A. and has already moved into the attic when they arrive.
0: Oh, my goodness. Otto.
1: Otto. So then the affair continues uninterrupted for another five years, Luis. Can you believe that? Did, did, Did Fred
0: not think, hey, why do you want an attic so much? What are you keeping up there? You know, at no he's point. Just,
1: I, honestly, I think he's so disinterested. He's just like whatever oh. keeps my wife from complaining. I'm fine with. Like, I, I don't know. But
0: happy wife, happy life. I guess.
1: <laughs> and, and and let me tell you, this this five years now only gets interrupted because we come to the night of August 22nd, 1922. Otto overhears a loud argument between the Austriacs. He believes Dolly to be in danger, so he comes out of the attic, gets two 25 caliber pistols from the bedroom, and shoots Fred three times, killing him. Then Dolly and Otto frantically try to stage the scene to look like a botched robbery. Dolly gives Otto all the money from the bedroom and Fred's diamond watch. Otto locks Dolly in the bedroom closet and throws away the key. And then Otto hides in the attic with the money, the watch, and the guns.
0: He goes back to the attic? Come on, man.
1: He goes back to the attic. He's ride or die. He's like, I was born in this attic. This I'll was, this was
0: the attic. perfect the perfect position for him to just run off. You're right, I guess. Ride <laughs> or die. Sure.
1: Yeah, he's he's all in, you know? What, do you, what can you say? So the police arrived shortly after. They were called by the neighbors who heard the gunshots, and and they strongly suspect that Dolly is involved in some way, but they can't figure out how she could have locked herself in the closet, so they don't really have anything to go on. Uh, Dolly inherits Fred's fortune. She buys a, a larger house with a larger attic. Larger attic. Hell yeah. Larger attic, which, as you can see where I'm going here, so Otto continues living in the attic, thi- despite the fact that Fred is dead. Yeah, at this in point, fact, well, why there's keep only it two changes. One is that Otto can now have a typewriter to write with instead of pencil and paper, since there's no one around to hear Incredible. it. Incredible. And Evan. Evidently, the new attic has enough room for him to make bathtub gin.
0: Great, man.
1: So he's got a typewriter, and he's liquored up. That's the only difference in his life.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Stay up in the attic. Do not come down to a study. Do not come down to the bedroom. Don't come down ever. At this point, you're right. You started this podcast episode saying keep the bad person attitudes aside about Mm Walberta slash Dolly. Okay, sorry. Continue. Well, let's hear this. Yeah,
1: you see what I'm saying? I mean, she's... Yeah, She's is... not a great person. Yeah, but come on, this is man. Just wild to watch.
0: All Otto wants to do is write his stories.
1: Let me let me tell you though, the, the reason for this arrangement might be because Dolly has other purposes for her new house. Okay. Oh, because no. during all this time, she begins having an affair with a man named Herman Shapiro, the lawyer who she hired after becoming a suspect in her husband's murder.
0: Very good. But nice. while
1: he's working or defending her in court, she also starts having an affair with a 22 year old local businessman named Roy Clark okay so in the year 1923 here's just an update of the situation dolly is a 43 year old widow rich off of her murdered husband's money having an affair with her attorney also having an affair with 22 year old roy clum and her 27 year old sex slave has now (sighs) lived in her attic for 10 years my god
0: my God! What? Just okay. Just What just, do you say to this? Just uh, okay. the first thing. Does Otto have a job? His
1: job is live in her attic. He he makes like little money here and there from the short stories that get bought by publishers, but uh, people note that it's never enough. Where it seems like he could, you know, go move out and get an apartment oh, of his own. So my goodness. there is some some question about like he is fully dependent on her. He doesn't have income at all, really.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, at this point, what else are you gonna do? The last ten years of us of your life, the only thing you've known, the only life you've known is attic.
1: It's all Walburga It's only ever been Walburga Only
0: ever been Oh my god <laughs> So in
1: 1923 Dolly makes three critical mistakes Okay
0: Cas a house with no attic
1: <laughs> No um, But that would be a pretty critical mistake One of them, she gives Herman Shapiro, the lawyer slash uh, one of the boyfriends, uh, the diamond watch that was allegedly stolen, which, since Mm. he's her lawyer, of course, he recognizes it. Mm. And she's like, oops, the thieves must have dropped it on their way out, or maybe it wasn't actually stolen, it was just lost and I didn't realize. She gives Roy Klum one of the pistols to dispose in the local La Brea tar pits, and she tells him the story that... It's not the murder weapon, but it's the same type of gun as the murder weapon, and if the police found it, it would look suspicious, and I don't want to get in any trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Thanks, he helps Dally. her. He, he goes and throws it in the tar pit her third critical mistake however though is that sometime later Dolly breaks up with Roy so he then of course goes to the police and tells them everything he knows (laughs) Okay. and in July 1923 the police retrieve the gun from the tar pits and arrest Dolly the next day when the story hits headlines Dolly's neighbor goes to the police station and tells them that she also gave him a gun because remember there were two guns right she also gave him a gun with the same story about oh I just don't want to get in trouble and told him to bury it under the rose bushes in his garden which he did okay so police go and retrieve that gun as well both the guns are badly deteriorated so it's difficult to learn much from them they're definitely the same type of gun that was used but they can't identify whether or not they are the specific guns used in the murder so the charges don't stick to dolly but during this time she is in prison incarcerated so while she's locked up Luis.
0: Who is going to feed Otto? Oh, and he's still in the attic. She's
1: got pets. Who's going to water the plants? Oh, no. Who's going to make sure the stove's not on? Who's going to leave food out for Otto? He's
0: he's waiting for for owner woman to come in (laughs) through the door and open the door to the attic.
1: I know. Poor man. During an inmate attorney meeting... With Herman Shapiro Herman Shapiro's still her attorney Dolly asks Herman to take groceries to her house To feed, quote, her vagabond half-brother She's back to the old material, baby Yeah,
0: stick to your story I mean, if
1: it ain't broke, don't fix it, I guess Yeah, stick to your story That's bold, frankly So she tells, Herman is like Because he, you know, he's been in a relationship with her He's like, I did not know there was someone living in your attic All this time that I've spent at your house But okay She tells him, go scratch on the ceiling panel three times And leave (laughs) the food And the man will come out of the attic and get it Herman goes to the house, but he doesn't doesn't leave. He stays to meet Otto, and Otto comes out of the attic, introduces himself as Walter Klein. He's thin, gaunt, and pale, and he starts talking non-stop to Herman, telling him all the events of the past years, about living in the attic, about the murder, about everything. What? Herman tells him to get out of the house, but get this, he doesn't go to the police. So, mm. without this information making it out, the charges against Dolly are eventually dropped. Oh. And afterwards, Dolly and Herman move in together. What? <laughs>
0: okay, oh, alright, hold on. Yeah. So, so Otto just, just finally was free from living
1: in an attic? He It wasn't that he was like stuck in there because he he came out of the attic on his own you know he could get out from the attic but it was just that he came out to get the food and he has not had like much human interaction for you know a little over 10 years now.
0: And now he lives in a different city too. And now
1: he lives in a different city so yeah. he just sees like another human being and you know it's been especially boring recently because Dolly's been locked up this whole time I guess so he just starts talking and talking about everything and anything to Herman Shapiro who apparently is in love enough with dolly that he doesn't want her to go to prison but he just tells Otto like get out of here
0: also forget being in love with her she he's her attorney right so i guess i guess professionally speaking he doesn't want dolly to go to prison either
1: yeah i mean that's that's true too but also then is he committing a crime and withholding that evidence in both of these instances kurt
0: there's foul play <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem very legal i'll say that so if you're saying like he has a legal duty i don't know if that's
0: there much either. this whole story just has a lot of legal implications yeah I'm yeah
1: yeah 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 so dolly and herman move in and they're together actually for seven years until 1930 wow. in 1930 they break up and in extremely predictable fashion herman goes to the police and tells them everything he knows mm. who could have seen that coming mm-hmm. so warrants are issued for Otto and dolly's arrest otto gets charged with murder dolly gets charged with conspiracy to murder otto's trial comes up first otto argued that he'd been enslaved by dolly and he testifies to all the details of their 10-year relationship and his life in the attic and the media of course runs wild with otto's story wow. the newspapers dub him the batman not like the superhero but like he's a bat person because they say <laughs> he lived a cave-like existence uh-huh. for 10 years yeah otto is found guilty of manslaughter but the statute of limitations for manslaughter had run out because it's eight years now since the Damn. murder so otto goes free yeah then they come to Dolly's trial. Dolly's lawyer is a man named Jerry Geisler. Is this a name that's familiar to you, Luis? Uh, it is not. Kurt, no. Okay, well, just put a pin in that name because I'm going to come back to it later. Jerry Giesler is her lawyer, okay? Dolly, in her trial, of course, blames Otto. Otto gives the same testimony, which the jury already knows completely at this point because they've been reading about it in the papers for weeks. (laughs) The trial ends with a hung jury with most jurors leaning towards acquittal, and in 1936, all charges against Dolly are officially dropped, so that's it. Afterwards, Otto Sandhuber changed his name to Walter Klein. He got married and lived out the rest of his life quietly in L.A. Walberga Dolly, Osterdijk, also lived out the rest of her life quietly in la in 1961 at the age of 75 she married a man named ray bert hedrick Uh, ray and dolly had been together 30 years at that point and then dolly passed away a few weeks later so both Otto and dolly weirdly like after this was over just had super stable normal lives in the exact same city they were in
0: Do you think Otto especially requested an attic in his new house? Like, do you think it's like old habits die hard (laughs) and he decided to stay in the attic? Say, "Um, I'm sorry, honey. I just, I have to have an attic. Can only work there. I
1: think if, if, you know, if it were a movie, he would like have won a bunch of money from the lawsuit, (sighs) right? And then yeah. he buys like a big mansion, but then he he just lives in the attic because he's he's too too institutionalized by mm-hmm. the attic. You know, I can mm-hmm. see that. would be very dramatic. Yeah, absolutely. to the movie. Yeah. Anyway, but let me get to the one like kind of odd little twist on the end of this thing. Okay. So the lawyer, Jerry Geisler, he would after this go on to become kind of like the famous Hollywood lawyer to the stars. He went on to represent Errol Flynn, Charlie Chaplin, oh, wow. Marilyn Monroe, as well as tons of other major actors. A lot of people whose names I didn't recognize, but had their own Wikipedia pages. So, <laughs> hey, we're big. B- we're blue in wikipedia uh, good yeah i mean uh, names i didn't recognize because they're from like 1920 sure he also represented famous vegas mobster bugsy siegel and he also got dr george Hodell acquitted from some pretty heinous charges dr george Hodell would later be the prime suspect of the gruesome black dahlia murders ah. um, which are some of the most famous unsolved murders yeah. in american history in my personal opinion he a thousand percent did it it's just <laughs> Very, It's very clear he did, but the evidence slipped through the cracks. This, this is a,
0: separ- a separate consider- conspiracy in this episode. No, it's it's not
1: so much of a conspiracy. It's it's more like since he, he died after his death, they have kind of figured out it probably definitely mm-hmm. was him. But mm-hmm. had, you know, there's an interesting little thing to say, like had Jerry Giesler not got wrapped up in the whole Wahlbergah scheme, would he have gotten escalated to the point where he could have kept one of the most famous, most gruesome American murders unsolved? Mm-hmm. You know, Mm-hmm interesting anyway that that's it because uh, as I said both our main characters have peacefully lived out their lives in LA but what do you think of all that Luis any any inspiration do you take any notes
0: I, I I pity Otto for his life in the attic mm. but at the same time it does sound like a dream doesn't it if life could be a dream, shaboop do doo ba You know, you get fed every day. You get to write your little stories. You get to uh, sleep with uh, a, a mm-hmm. woman that's, I, I guess, s- sexually... Um, Insane?
1: <laughs> you could say. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say
0: that's a lot of uh, fortitude, but yeah and you get to get scot-free from a crime mm. i guess i guess i guess i don't envy that one but you know it's a right. plus for, from all this
1: I, I you know i will say when when i read the detail that he got a bigger attic and the only two changes were that he got a typewriter and started making gin in the bathtub i was like huh maybe this could be really that, that,
0: that sounds know. listen
1: <laughs> kurt uh, could be the move for louise i don't know yeah
0: when we live together kurt you do you, i'm sure you remember my room was next to the kitchen and what did i and i was a journalist so what did i do all day i I just wrote on my computer and I made mead. Yeah, like I I fermented my own mead. So again, this seems like a pretty good life. Yeah, you know, up to and excluding the murder. Uh, Again, right? That murdered bad. Right. But I just kind of feel bad for him that all he knew was the attic. He couldn't even leave. You
1: know. On a serious note, I think it's okay to say, like, hearing it, I kind of am like, I don't know. It could be a pretty good deal. Be. But also, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm saying whether or not Otto liked it. Because, mm-hmm. again, he was 17 years old when he got wrapped right, up in this. Yeah. He got stuck in a situation that whether, if he had wanted to leave, he probably couldn't really have. So, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of internal explanation on what people's feelings were. Because, you know, there's there's also, like, an interesting thing about how much of this story is really verifiable. Because there's different newspapers from the time. But, like I said, the story got very essentialized Otto, in his testimony has uh an incentive to paint dolly as the villain dolly has an incentive to paint the situation as one thing who knows you know if either of the the legal teams wanted to make the story look more dramatic and of course the media wants it to be as dramatic as possible so it is difficult just to like mm-hmm. s- decipher through all that and say like why was dolly originally unhappy in the marriage yeah. did Otto want to be in the situation was there a point where he wanted out of it and couldn't get out of it it's tricky to really know all those things but typewriter bathtub Gin. Sounds like a pretty
0: good. Uh, that it's just that part of the story sounds great. Like sounds everything sounds else great. isolated sounds great. <laughs> in a vacuum. In a, a typewriter
1: and bathtub, gin, gold star. What
0: else could you need? Love it. <laughs> no, and, and you know, at, at the end of the day, too, you you mentioned he came into the attic at seventeen. He's spending over ten years in that attic. Even if he were to leave, what would he do? You know, what does he know how to do? Just write, I guess, and stay quiet. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I think that's that's the most problematic thing here. Where yeah, what, what else does he know how to do? I'm sure he's not educated. All he knows is this life. I mean, if anything, I'm, I'm happy for him that he was able to leave this situation and live a, I guess, happy life or just, just at least just a quiet, different life.
1: Seems like everybody got a happy enough ending. It's, it's one of those very weird, like, early Hollywood stories where it's like just five or six insane things happened right in a row and then somehow everybody forgot about him like two years later and none of it mattered. Like it just all was right in this little compartment of time you're like, how could that have happened and not be like a national story everywhere? But it's like, it just didn't even matter. It was just another week in Hollywood. It's like this
0: point in American history when everything just happens very suddenly, everyone burns bright, and then everyone forgets about it. Because probably this was the the big controversy uh, at the time, wouldn't it been, Kurt?
1: Yeah, it definitely, it definitely had a bit of shades of like, you know, people always say the, the OJ trial is the, the trial of the century. It definitely had a bit of shades of that where it was like a media feeding frenzy. And it was something that people were really debating about you know is this person innocent or guilty should they be considered innocent or guilty but also at the same time people are probably much more interested in just like the juicy details of the story so yeah i mean it was something that was huge for a second and then in the end you know a man is dead no one's in trouble everybody lives out the rest of their days happily ever after you know this mm-hmm. is kind of one of the reasons why i said i feel a lot more comfortable just putting my guilt to the side because it's so hard to decipher is there a bad guy who's the bad guy what did anybody want what's the moral, you know i'd rather just say like wow that was a wild one you know <laughs> and did did walberta or
0: or otto Wilburga. or sorry sorry walberga my bad did her or otto or anyone else involved in this ever write some sort of memoir or book detailing this whole story or it was just the what the press kind of dug up
1: Otto badly wanted to be uh free of this deal as soon i think from the moment he got kicked out of the house because mm-hmm. uh when they got the warrant for the arrest, he was actually in canada mm. um and after the after after the, the legal proceedings was done, he, like, got out and nobody ever could get a hold of him again. You know, they know, like, where he was, but he is not talking to anybody. I think that that Dolly gave some interviews. I think that uh, more often it was, like, you know, Herman and uh, Roy, you know, disgruntled boyfriends, a lot of it. But also because of the testimony, that detailed at least, you know, what to what they testified in court. Otto pretty much detailed all of it because he's trying to establish a pattern and character and that he's stuck in this situation. That it was not that he wanted to do this. He was, like, indoctrinated into this. Um, which may possibly be the case. But so because of that, a lot of details came out. But it's also like I'm saying where, you know, you read multiple newspaper sources and it's difficult to tell. Did they all go find this information independently or did they all cite the LA Times? They're not saying that. What
0: was their so- what was their source? They just made it out. Dude,
1: <laughs> trust me. Trust me. <laughs> Dude, my cousin was there. He saw it. Yeah, yeah. My, my cousin was Wahlberg. You don't know him. He goes to a different school. <laughs> <laughs> So, with that being said, I think it is finally time to move on to our favorite least favorite part of this here little podcast i guess so kurt which is
0: deliberation
1: so luis i told you about the little domino big domino starting with marie antoinette or johnny henny the hat maker i guess depending on how you look at it and ending with wd-40 being a a household hardware product then i told you about the story of our villain who we're giving a pass for now Dolly strike <laughs> who uh, had quite the harem, sex slaves, boyfriends, male. What's the male version of mistresses? Uh, mister. Mi- mistros. <laughs> misters. So lots of misters. <laughs> and in the end, everything just kind of went on as usual, you know? Yeah. Wow, you know these two stories,
0: Kurt. Uh, they, I think, they involve so much from their own respective times. Mm-hmm. So the first one, you've got yeah, the, the 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 decadence and the opulence of the French Empire and people in the French Empire, or the French Kingdom, trying to spread that opulence through makeup, through different fragrances and, and early movement of fragrances across the world, across Europe, and how something as little as a single dude being paid hush money by the French crown mm-hmm. could lead to, to WD-40. Reminds me a lot of the <laughs> invention of canning and how that led to mm-hmm. napalm.
1: It's always the US military. So, they always yeah, somehow, the internet, they?
0: somehow the US always <laughs> finds a way to get involved. And it also somehow always involves patent law. What's about <laughs> what, what's going on here? <laughs> It's always about these damn patents. Mm. And uh, now the other one, the other one's fantastic, Kurt. The other one's a, a really lovely old Hollywood story. You know, the mm. old scandals from from yore. And the best part of it, I think, is that it's people not famous. You know, it's people that were mm. not celebrities that got involved with this whole situation. It was just a random immigrant from Wisconsin and some dude uh, stuck in an attic, like that's that's yeah. like we've said before. It seems like back in the day you could get away with so much more, <laughs> you know. Uh, like yeah, we you've had a seventeen-year-old living in an attic for ten years? Sure, that could only happen in nineteen twenty.
1: You could you could keep a seventeen-year-old concubine in your attic with just the explanation: he's my vagabond half brother. Yeah,
0: and you and <laughs> how do you need to get, how do you get rid of evidence? Throw in the old tar pits, easy.
1: Oh, ye old tar pits. The ye old tar Classic. pits.
0: Yeah, it's a very old. Har- Hollywood story curtain but through both of this I I do have a couple of doubts that start sprouting up both of these stories have an immense amount of detail I that I really really did appreciate I appreciate so much first story all the travels around the world which seems so minute just going mm. away. You know, it, it means uh, Jean Henry, the hat man, goes to Iran, goes to Asia Minor, and that gets him away from the French Revolution. And then the whole detail with the Bourbon dynasty in Spain and how he ended up going to Puerto Rico, which then changed hands. That's, in, uh, that's incredible. Here in this uh, uh, most recent story, the Walburga one, again, the details of Wisconsin, the German community in Wisconsin, the moving to Hollywood, all the different people and the different names coming through, that's amazing. Now something I'm getting hung up on, Kurt, And I think Mm. this is what this is why I mentioned that the second story sounds very old Hollywood. It's surprising that no one in there is famous.
1: Mm, True. You know,
0: I feel like the press, yes, would make a big hubbub about this. We've had cases recently that have become national news uh, that are just because how strange they are. I don't know. First thing that comes to mind is Casey Anthony. But I'm thinking of this news story. I'm like, no way. In 1930s, 1940s Hollywood with stars as big as they were why would they care about these random people that came to LA not only that details such as when she first met Otto mm-hmm. she was wearing a silk silk Robe and stockings. Mm -hmm. If they decided to keep a quiet life afterwards, Kurt, how would this be known? Maybe Walburga had some interviews, but I don't know, Kurt. I feel like there's too much going on because who would care about the happenings of Wisconsin, Mm. of a small German community in Wisconsin? I certainly wouldn't. I won't. And this is no offense to this is no offense to those uh, living those living in New Berlin, Wisconsin. Uh, (laughs) However. I'm afraid that because of that, I feel like that second story must be false. It's incredible. It's a wonderful story. But if you made it up, Kurt, I, so much power to you. And if you didn't, so much power to you still, too. My God.
1: So, wait, wait, so which is your answer? So you think the Walberga story is false? Walberga
0: story in my brain, in how my brain works, is the false story. All
1: right. All right. Gotcha. gotcha. Incorrect, Luis. What? Wahlberger, Dolly, Osterreich lived and died for this legacy what no way kurt. and i conceived marie antoinette making wd-40 that's right baby i right. that was like a can't. brick to the head wasn't I, it I I, you, I I could see you felt confident about that one i think you know
0: those listening cannot see my reaction as you can right now through this uh, video <laughs> call kurt but i my brain had just stopped working briefly, <laughs> <laughs> shut off. <laughs> wow! Well, where do you want to start, Luis? I, I, Which one first? You, you. Uh, I mean, I guess let's go with the fake one first. Huh. All right,
1: let's let's talk let's talk falsehoods. Okay. Yeah, let's hear it. So WD forty is uh did come out of the the U S military. They were working on actually a water displacement test for NASA rocket ships.
0: Okay. Um,
1: and they they came up with this thing that they realized the general public would would love to have also. And so they had kind of scientists working for NASA, then formed a company out of that. Other than that, uh, it's just all made up. I guess like you know always with some details of like. I'm not coming up with crushed insects are called carmine and they grow from cactuses. You know, the little things about, like, the makeup Marie Antoinette mm-hmm. would use, the dates of the French Revolution lineup. But there is no Jean-Henri Bonnet no. who did anything. Damn. Um, it is true of the bourbons were in Spain, but, you know, I don't know what they would have felt towards the French nobility at that point <laughs> after the Revolution. So... Basically everything regarding Jean Henri Bonet is. Oh my false. goodness,
0: Kurt! And and you know, you fu- I think I fell for the the lack of specificity with specific people. Like I think this that first story, it's a little broader, mm-hmm. right? It kind of encompasses so much more. It encompasses just general things and, and very little on specific people. And I think I took that as oh, I mean naturally, it's broad should be the real story because once you go into details in the second one, for example, names. We 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 know how much we love making up names, Kurt, and all of Man, these names:
1: Ballberger, Dolly, Osterreich. I was like, that name alone, Luis is gonna miss all of these. There's even no way that's real. I
0: mean, even Otto, even what was it, Henry Shapiro? What was his name? The Herman Shapiro. Herman Shapiro. What, Kurt? That yeah. Tell me about that. If, is there anything more to say about that second old Hollywood story?
1: I I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be a little more candid now about uh, that. I have my own personal doubts about how much of these details you can know. Like you said about she answered the door in a silk robe and stockings. Like I originally had that worded in my notes that she allegedly did this, but then I found four or five more newspapers from the time that reported she did this. So, hmm. you know, on one hand, again, I don't know if it's newspapers copying newspapers. On the other hand, it seems like Otto, when he was telling Herman, who later then passed this information on, he just told like all kinds of detail, but also in his testimony, which he gave twice, he told like just in extreme detail the whole affair, which again, at that point in time, I don't know if he has incentive to embellish details, but- but to the best of my fact-finding knowledge, this is the things that were at least 80 to 90% true. I mean, the the majority of the details about, like, the years, people's ages, he did live in the attic, she'd said vagabond half-brother, it's just some of the more sensational, dramatic details about she was wearing a silk robe and stockings, or, you know, the fact that he came out of the attic overhearing their fight and then shot Fred, who knows about that because it was only the two of them there, and of course he's gonna say that later, but it's possible he just killed him out of jealousy, which some outlets reported at the time, but I thought no one can really know that, and if, especially... So he said in court that wasn't the reason
0: you know i think something that i often forget is how before the 1970s for the 1960s journalists had so much free reign with how mm-hmm. they told stories my goodness mm-hmm. i've read some old newspapers say early 1900s led late 1800s and journalists just embellish so much to the point where it reads more like a like a book rather than a newspaper just facts which is really funny so i can imagine newspapers from the time saying all of these embellishing facts like the the silk robes the behavior of the first husband and then trying to build this great big story about it wow no that's that's lovely kurt That's incredible.
1: Luis, out of interest, I'm going to send you a picture of Dolly Wahlberger Osterreich. This this is her when she's, uh, I think, 40 to 50. So this would be her around the time that she and Herman moved in together, I believe. But just so you can see what she looks like, I don't know if you, 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 I'd like you to describe, but also if you've seen Peaky Blinders, I think she looks like Polly from Peaky Blinders, mm-hmm. which just makes the story even better.
0: You know, uh, let, let's just begin by by saying she she's a, she looks like an older woman, has older features. She She has the classic early 1930s, 40s look where she has short hair and what looks like a bucket hat on you know like yeah like like what flappers wear like current day costume of flappers are wearing just that kind of big hat bonnet kind of situation
1: the, the hat the hat where the brim like really phoned it mm-hmm, in like the brims mm-hmm. given like no effort and
0: this picture you sent me she really looks incredible because she has a uh, just a mink scarf and by mink i mean it's it's it you can see the feet and the face of that animal just wrapped <laughs> around her well we'll post this on our social media but I, I mean i'm gonna go out on a limb here kurt and say that uh I think Walburga might be the woman of my dreams.
1: This woman, is a, she's a powerful woman, okay? Yeah. I, I kind of, you know, doing some of the research, thought, like, she was going to be super attractive. And, and you know, I guess maybe she wasn't at the time. But it's not for me to say, but she looks very powerful. I'll say that. I mean, <laughs> she looks intimidating. She's
0: wearing her mink scarf and a pearl necklace uh, and it's got no life behind her eyes.
1: 50% Walburga, 50% Dolly, mm-hmm, you know? It's mm-hmm. all in there. Yeah, It's all in there. Yeah. So, Luis, I believe that brings our score to 4-3 to three with me in the lead. Ooh. You're in the lead This feels now. different.
0: Yeah, this feels yeah, weird. I'm, I'm,
1: I'm a little bit scared of the success here. I don't know. I think I might have to self-sabotage, to be honest I with think
0: you. all I'll have to say at this moment is careful, Icarus. I'll, I'll leave it there.
1: <laughs> You're like I was there once I remember, when I was a younger man.
0: I remember tasting the glory. <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> well, it's a long way to go still, so, I guess it doesn't, so it doesn't mean much at this point.
0: I guess so, but I need to, to step up my game. I, th- I think I'm, I've been falling behind a little bit. I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know what's wrong with me, Kurt. I've lost my touch.
1: Ah, uh, well, we'll see. So, everyone, I hope you enjoyed listening to the stories today. If you want to see pictures or bonus content from this episode or any of our other episodes, check out our social medias. We're on Instagram at unbelievablepod and Twitter at unbelievablepc. If you like the podcast, tell your friends about it. Leave us a review, maybe. Who knows?
0: Yeah, give us a DM on 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 Instagram and uh, really just rip rip us to shreds. Yeah,
1: harass us online. Please take do. Any interaction. Yeah, you know? I mean, send I- us hate mail. We love it. The
0: algorithm will love it if you uh, are mean to us.
1: So, see you next time, everyone. And remember, if you're going to involve your harem in your crimes you're committing, don't break up with them afterwards. They're going to go straight to the police. Rookie mistake.
0: And make sure you get a huge attic. And
1: make sure you get a huge attic. Least the bathtub size.
0: See ya. Bye.